I'm, uh, I'm going to sit, actually. Um, I, I, I've never had it before, and I got uh, vertigo um, about a week and a half ago. And uh, lots of things are, are spinning, and I uh, spent a couple days throwing up, and um, so the first four rows may get wet during the course of this. Uh, you are in the soak zone, unfortunately. Um, but uh, never had it, but, but you know how difficult it is when uh, things start to spin. Even if you haven't had vertigo, you get sick or whatever, and then that spinning and then the focal point, and it, it's become an all too uh, real sort of experience for me to, to not quite know uh, where to focus. And, um, and I, I had an inability to focus. And then that starts getting you thinking about a whole bunch of other things that happened to uh, segue into uh, what we're talking about uh, today. You ever stop to think about how you got to be where you are now? You know, you look back over your life and there are some uh, clear defining moments where you could have gone one direction, but you went the other. Uh, sometimes you made particular choices uh, that, that sent you off in this particular direction. Sometimes it was things that you didn't choose, you wouldn't want to have happen, but they did. And they began to shape uh, your journey and you've kind of ended up where, where you are. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent. Good or bad. And uh, there's a lot of those sorts of make or break moments in our life. Um, I don't particularly care for those moments because I personally like to be uh, just in control and kind of call the shots. And, uh, and I think I usually know best uh, for my life. And uh, I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, I think that for a lot of us, we like um, very clear roadmaps. Uh, roadmaps are good. Men. Uh, <laughs> driving directions are good. Um, we, we don't always use them, but, but they are good. If, if you are here and you want to get there, then having a clear set of, of uh, roads marked out for you can actually be very helpful. Now, same goes with, uh, with your spiritual life and journey. That if you are here, you are you, and you begin to get a sense that God has a different place for you, uh, someone that he wants to uh, mold you more and more into, and that person is out in the future somewhere over in this direction, then it's helpful, right, to have a roadmap that helps you get from, I'm here, but I recognize you want me to be here, so how do I get from here to there? And we, we have a bit of a roadmap in the scriptures, don't we? Uh, the Bible does give us some direction. It helps us to know uh, the way of wisdom versus foolishness. Uh, it helps us to know the way of truth versus lies. There's so much good for us in our spiritual journey that comes out of God's word. But you know as well as I do that, that there is not a chapter, verse, and reference for every single issue that you and I face in life, is there? 
I mean, you're going through something very unique or wrestling through something very special. And, and, and it's not always easy to find the exact verse that speaks to it. There may not be an exact verse. So there are some things uh, that are in the gray area for us. Uh, not easy to come by spiritually. And those particular areas are, are real make or break areas for us. What, what are we supposed to do in those particular moments where it is not necessarily black or white, but a little bit gray? How are we supposed to, to handle that? Um, this is a roadmap right here. Uh, now you can see uh, this is more or less northern Arizona. If, if we're here in Prescott and you want to get up to the Grand Canyon, and that's the journey that you're going to take, let's say spiritually speaking, it's nice to know that this certain combination of roads will get you there. We enjoy the roadmap. It's helpful. It is useful. Spiritually speaking, though, what I'm coming to discover for a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, often myself included, um, we want more than a roadmap, don't we? Because uh, if you just give me a map, see, I still got to do something. And I don't really know how to read the map. And it's a little confusing to me. Um, how long do I stay on this? Uh, can I stop? Can I pull over? Which, what if the road's broken down when I get there? Uh, spiritually speaking, the roadmap's helpful, but what most of us want is what our phones have now, which is this. Spiritually speaking, this is what you want. This is what I want. You want the audible voice of God in an Australian accent. <laughs> To say to you, uh, for the next point two days, here's what I need you to do. Go right. Oh, okay, that's great. I can do that. And then for the next 56 minutes, uh, make another right. And then for point eight days after that, you probably hang a left. Or you can follow the instructions. I mean, that sounds that sound good to anybody. Audible voice of God, every single minute, you're just going, I need that because I'm a nightmare. Now, <laughs> there are seasons where I want that. They're typically in seasons where um, life has gone off the rails. Um, there's something unexpected. It's something miserable. It's something difficult. That's when I really want it's what college do I go to? What do I do about my job situation? What do I do about uh, this person I'm married to that isn't going that great? How do I figure out the one that I do want to get married to? Those big moments and you start to really go, okay, this is when I want the turn by turn directions, Lord. This is when I really need you to speak up in a big way. Make it clear. The flip side of that, though, is just take it to... <laughs> Honestly, go even further than this. You go, I, I don't even want to listen, really. If you have turn-by-turn -turn instructions for me, can we even go easier than that? I've been hearing about the autonomous vehicles. How about this, spiritually speaking? I'm just going to sit back. God, you drive. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and read a book. While you drive. 
Sounds nice. Um, God's given us something different. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts for the next six weeks. And some make or break moments in the early church that I think we have a lot to learn from or at least process through. There were some uh, opportunities, there were some uh, uh, things that presented themselves to the early church, these early believers that at the very least interesting in how they, they handled them. Um, have you ever thought about how weird it would be if uh, the book of Acts did not exist, if it were absent from your Bible. I mean, it would be kind of jarring. If Acts were absent, um, take, take a look at this real quick. Uh, you'd have questions about what happened in the historical gap between the Gospels and the letters or the epistles uh, that, that Paul wrote. Because you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tells about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And without Acts, all of a sudden... This guy is writing letters to these churches. What is the church? Where did it come from? Um, how did it spring up? What, what happened? Um, how and why did the church appear? We, we wouldn't know, especially in specific locations. How in the world did the gospel get from here to spreading out in all these different directions? Uh, we'd have questions about what happened to Peter. Because when we last left Peter at the end of the gospels, he was kind of a bummer. And uh, now he seems to be quite the hero. Uh, what, what, what happened? Um, who in the world is Paul? Where did he come from? He wasn't one of the 12. And now he's writing a, a huge percentage of the New Testament. Uh, Acts helps explain that. Um, what did the early church do? When, when the, the church began to gather, what, what, what sort of things did they do together? Acts helps answer that. Um, what's the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Actually, a lot of the answers to, to that are, are found in the book of, of Acts. Um, how come the ethnic makeup of the church is so much more broad than just Jewish? Well, it's... The book of Acts that gives us the explanation for that. Um, uh, how did grace through Christ reconcile itself with Old Testament law? I mean, we got a whole bunch of Old Testament. We got a whole bunch of the law and the prophets. Okay, now we got Jesus came and that's pretty interesting. Uh, but, but how do those two work themselves out? Well, the book of Acts helps us answer those questions. Isn't it amazing how good God is to give us what he gives us in his word? Because there's so many of these questions that maybe right now you weren't wondering about, but, but now you are. Well, you can go to God's word and he'll help you, you sort it out. I think that's, that's quite the blessing. There are some themes in the book of Acts that are, are pretty amazing too. Um, these are some of the, the themes. Um, change, uh, transition. Uh, from Jewish people to Gentile people, um, from Paul to from Peter to to Paul, uh, you've got geographical change and transition. Uh, you've got prayer is a huge theme in the Book of Acts. Prayer is referenced more times in the Book of Acts than any other New Testament book, and it almost always precedes a massive outpouring of the work of God. Prayer is key. Uh, there's this theme of God's supremacy or his sovereignty, that, that God is free uh, to carry out his plan, how he sees fit, sometimes 
through people and sometimes despite people. God's still on the throne in the book of Acts. Um, there's a defense of Christianity that comes up multiple times. There's multiple like courtroom scenes uh, where, where consistently the author, Luke, is, is, is showing in these courtroom scenes that Christians were, were peaceable, uh, gentle citizens. Uh, not, not rebellious ones as they had been accused of. Multiple times it's documented, no, they're not these rebels that are trying to upend the world. They are peaceful, humble, good citizens trying to rescue the world from the inside out. That's documented uh, apologetically throughout this book. You've got um, key decision-making that goes on in the book of Acts. How did they make decisions? Did they have a roadmap? Did they have turn-by-turn instructions? What, what, what method did they use? Well, in Acts chapter 1, which is where we're starting out, um, here's how it starts out. Acts chapter 1, look at verses 1 through 3. Go back, Toby. 1 through 3. Uh, Luke writing this. Did you know that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he also wrote the book of Acts? And so basically, Acts is just volume two of Luke's gospel. Another way of looking at it is you got the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus documented in Luke, but that's just the beginnings. It's not the end. Uh, The beginnings of now the spread of the gospel, the work of the gospel made possible by Jesus, we get to see in his second volume, which is called Acts. He says, in my former book, which was Luke, Theophilus, I I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That's cool. We have to, I mean, come on now. If, if, If I rose from the dead and then showed up, would I need to give you more convincing proofs that I'm alive? No. But Jesus, Jesus thought fit to. He, he, he rose from the dead, and then over a period of 40 days, he continued to give proofs that he was alive. Yes, we walk by faith. But it is not a blind faith. He has given us many proofs that we can stand firmly on and say, yes, that this is worth putting my weight into. And so he he says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He didn't just speak about their little kingdom. He spoke about the coming kingdom. Now he already, he had told them that, that, Hey guys, um, Someday, the 12 will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so that's on their mind. And they got the focus kind of still stuck on their kingdom versus his kingdom. Have you ever done that before? You get hung up on your own little thing and your own little kingdom and miss his kingdom I mean, I'm not talking just a weekly thing for me. This is often an hourly struggle for me. 
And, and, and the disciples are kind of in the same boat. Hey, well, I mean, we're kind of aware. We remember what you said, Jesus. We, we, we're going to be, you know, ruling over the 12 tribes as a part of the, the kingdom. And so they ask him, is, is the kingdom coming right now? And he says, no, hang on. You got to wait. I, I'm going to leave you. And he says, more than that, he says, it's to, to your advantage that I leave. That's weird. Uh, the roadmap's going away. The turn-by-turn instructions are going away. But if I don't leave, then he says, the helper will not come. The comforter will not come. And who's he talking about? Holy Spirit. And so, uh, Jesus has been expressed incarnationally, in the flesh, on earth. Now Jesus is going to be expressed through his church. More specifically, through what the Holy Spirit is going to do through his people called the church. And so the gospel is going to spread, but in a bit of a new manner than it has been before. And so now the disciples are left with a moment here. Jesus says, you've got to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. I've given you some proofs, but I'm also going to give you some power because you're going to need supernatural power to carry out this radical mission. Well, how, how are we know what are we supposed to do? I don't know what we're supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? Wait. And the Holy Spirit will give you some power here. Hang in there. In that moment, I do not believe that Jesus was given a roadmap or turn-by-turn instructions or in an autonomous vehicle. Instead, the gift of the Holy Spirit to me and you is more like a compass. Now, if you've just been given a radical mission to get from here to there, you're going to become uh, this person way over here, but you're way back over there. And somebody just says, here's a compass. Really? I mean, all this does is tell me where true north is. Exactly. You know, there could be something really, really confining to a turn-by-turn instruction for every aspect of your entire life. How freeing it should be for you to recognize that, that through the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, God is still with us and, and guiding you and empowering you and directing you. But maybe it's in a less specific way than we often think. Now, I'm partially thinking out loud and partially just kind of walking through this chapter. Because this first chapter of the book of Acts, it does something kind of interesting. You think about Acts chapter 1, you think about Jesus saying, you're going to be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Oh, that's good. You think about the moment when Jesus ascends back to heaven. He does in Acts chapter 1. That's what I think about when I think about Acts chapter 1. But did you know that Luke gives more time to an odd little event in Acts chapter 1 than he does to this mission to go out as witnesses and to the ascension? And I want to draw your attention to this odd moment in Acts chapter 1, 
15. Jesus has ascended. The believers, men and women, have gathered together in this upper room and they're praying. They have been praying since Jesus left and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Look what happens. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. So there's some leadership here. There was a group of about uh, 120 of the believers at this point. And he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So there's already prayer going on amongst these believers. There's some leadership amongst the believers. And then there's scripture now brought into the equation. Uh, Peter was aware that the scriptures in the Old Testament, Psalms specifically, actually predicted uh, one of the 12 betraying Jesus. And so he references that. He's trying to bring the scripture. They're trying to walk by the word of God that they had and were aware of. And they're aware that, uh, that this thing with Judas was going to go down. And with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. I felt that way last week. Um, Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. Verse 20. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, here, scripture again, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, so Peter brings more scripture into it. Brothers and sisters, I, I know we, we, we've, we should be doing something here. We've got something to do. And the scriptures tell us that, uh, you know, there's, there's supposed to be 12 rulers, supposed to be 12 apostles. Now we're down to 11. The Bible knew about it. So we should go ahead and select a 12th, a replacement for Judas. And so let's go about it by finding someone with a good track record. We're not just going to pull some random guy off the street. We're going to examine their you know, character and the nature of them being a witness throughout the whole ministry of Jesus. I mean, a three-year front row seat from the time where John was baptizing and here comes Jesus all the way through the ascension. And then this is what happens. Verse 23. So they nominated two men. Two men fit the bill. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, Old Testament practice kind of drawing straws, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Okay. Again, 
They've narrowed it down. They got two guys. Then they pray again. Lord, you know our hearts. Lead us, guide us. We're seeking you for direction in this decision that we need to make. What are we supposed to do? All right, let's draw straws. Oh, Matthias, you're it. You win. Matthias, you're in. Okay. Now, just knowing what you know, I mean, if we back this up just a little bit, don't get too judgmental too quick. Does it sound like they were being uh, ridiculous and hasty and stupid and uh, they just kind of impatient? I mean, at first pass, what do we know? We know, yeah, Jesus has said we're supposed to wait to carry out the mission until the power of the Holy Spirit comes. That has not yet happened. But they are sitting there in prayer and they've got some unity and they've got some leadership and they've got the word of God. And then they've got a, a good individual with some track records, some criteria by which they have selected this person. And then they made a decision. In other words, it would be a formula similar to this. You got prayer plus unity, plus leadership, plus scripture, plus the good track record, plus more prayer. That equals the decision we're going to make. I mean, it, it doesn't sound ridiculous to me. In fact, it sounds actually like the way that I make a lot of my decisions. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, dessert or whatever, like uh, haagen coffee, ice cream in an instant. I don't pray over it. I don't seek godly counsel. I buy the whole tub and I eat it in one sitting. That's just the way it is. But this, when it comes to bigger decisions or other issues... Isn't this the way that a lot of us make decisions? If we're trying to be godly about it and going, what am I supposed to do? We're going to pray. We're going to go to God's word. We're going to seek some leadership counsel and input. I, I do that. Uh, we're we're going we're to go to God's word. If there's a verse here or a passage, I want to find it. We're going to seek unity around this. We're going to have a tracker, some criteria that we're going to try to use to help make a good decision. We pray again. And then at some point, don't you just have to make a decision? Yeah. I mean, I get it at least. Now, is this sinful? I don't think so. Uh, was it wrong? I, I don't know. There are scholars that say this was wrong. That, that because they jumped the gun prior to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it was wrong. Others say because we never hear from Matthias again, that that is reason to say that they jumped the gun. This was not right. Although we never hear from many of the other apostles again. Um, or they just kind of wrap around this deal. Go, it's, it seemed a little impatient. I don't know that it's sinful. I don't know that it's wrong. But here's the kind of make or break and new moment in the life of the church. I believe this is a bit of an Old Testament way of making decisions. This is good. This is okay. But I believe that there's something better. 
And the better, I think, is something like this. Uh, the helper, the comforter, the, the spirit of almighty God being taken into account, that, that's one thing. But I mean to really focus on him. Focus on almighty God. Set your sight on things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Focus on the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within believers. Focus on the Lord. Focus on the Holy Spirit more than you focus on the decision. Because go back, Toby. Here, the focal point is all on the decision. What am I supposed to do? But this other one, the focus, I put at the top. I don't draw like John does, so this is the best I could do. To me, to put everything that we do underneath the umbrella of the Holy Spirit That when I'm looking up, I'm not looking up at the decision I need to make. I'm looking up at the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. And I I know it might be nuanced or just semantics, but I, I really think that this is a pretty radical shift that the believers were needing to make. And I believe it's a make or break moment for us as followers of Jesus where we stop getting hung up on individual decisions to the neglect of our focus being on God. Can we have a whole bunch of spiritual activity and still be disconnected from God? You bet. But can you be completely immersed and focused on the Holy Spirit of God completely and then miss what he has? I don't think so. I think if we're focused, if we're sensitive, if we're listening, then that's, then things like prayer, the Holy Spirit begins to shape our prayer life. Rather than hoping that our prayer life, a discipline, is going to create a spiritual life. You reading the Bible is very helpful. It is like it's living and active. It's important. Do not get me wrong. But it is a means of cultivating a relationship with Almighty God. God uses the Bible to grow us up. We like formulas, right? I do this, 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 and this. I add that and that and that. Multiply it by this, divide by that, and cubit. And I'm a spiritual person. That's nice. That is nice. But that's called religion. That's called a cult. And so what we've been given is the Holy Spirit in tandem with the word of God. 
He's a compass giving us a tremendous amount of latitude. Hey, there's a lot going on here. I don't always know if God cares so much about the specific bullseye God will, God's will. You were supposed to sit, you've messed this whole world up because you sat here today instead of right there. You know? And sometimes we get that way with our spiritual journey. And I just think God's going, I don't care where you sit. Just focus on me wherever you're sitting. And I'll work out the rest. Now, are there times where he's saying specifically, you should go here, or you should stop that, or you should? Of course, of course. But when you're tuned into the Holy Spirit, you, you would catch that. This is what's a default for most of us. Me first, my kingdom second, his kingdom last. I get thinking about me, and then I get thinking about my kingdom, meaning my family, my job, my stuff. That's normal, right? I mean, we, Western culture is so individualistic. We rarely think about each other. We don't have time. But this is not what God had in mind. And if anything, if I had to make a educated guess based on looking at the scriptures here, I don't know that it was right or wrong in, in choosing Matthias, but I think there was a little bit of, I'm looking for me and my kingdom. I'm, I'm trying to do the best with what I have, but rather than going, okay, there's, there's a flip side of this, his kingdom first. That's a different way of living. And then where does my kingdom help flesh out his kingdom? And how do I help in this journey? I, and so two questions. The, the question that I think a lot of us wrestle with, that we pose however many times a day, is this question. What am I supposed to do? That's not a bad question. It just shows that you, you're thinking. It shows that uh, in between the lines, I'm assuming you want to be godly. You want to honor God with your decisions and your responsibilities. You want to do what's best for you and your family and your church. And, but you hear how many your and my and I in that? Focus on the decision. Somebody, what am I supposed to do? It's not horrible. But what if a better... Maybe a make or break question that we start asking rather than what am I supposed to do is what's the Holy Spirit up to? I'm not saying he doesn't care about your individual decisions or care about what you're supposed to do. I'm just saying what if his plan and his purpose for you is so much bigger than you? And that's why it's not that he doesn't care, but your little decision in comparison to the continually building kingdom of God, it just, that's the point I go out. Who cares about this little thing or that little thing? But if I'm tuning in, Holy Spirit, what, what are you up to? What are you up to in me? What are you up to in this church? What are you up to in my family? What are you up to in this community? And then whatever you find him up to, you lean that way. I think that's a bit of the freedom and the joy 
and the excitement of the Christian life, these early church all the way up to right now were invited into. And so Father, um, just ask Lord that you would help us Help us with the living word. Help us supernaturally. But help us also with the helper, our comforter, our guide, the one who empowers us, the Holy Spirit. We got a lot of stuff that we're wrestling to every single day, and we do want to honor you. We're trying to do the best with what we have. Not just today, but next week as we continue with a little more fleshing out of what it looks like to be led by the Holy Spirit. God, we we just give you some ground right now to uh, make this a a make or break moment. Or maybe we're going to pull away from turn by turn instructions just for whatever it's worth today and just look to you. Give us sensitivity to what it is that you're up to And then take our hands and walk us that direction. We lift our voices to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.